Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Blue Wire. It's exciting to win money. Back out to Allen. History title. Is there anything you don't gamble on? Uh, not really. Gambling gods, fickle bunch. Oh, yeah. So easily offended. Gambling's not your problem. You're just an idiot. And we welcome you in to a full slate of Blue Wire Gambling Podcast. My name is Greg Frank. You can find me and my picks on gambling Twitter at Undercover Greg. Joined by our partner in crime and jack of all trades, Alex Uplinger at Alex underscore up seven on his personal account and shoot him a follow. Running our podcast Twitter as well at full underscore slate underscore pod. It is week two of the NFL rotation as we record. Late on a Wednesday night, early in a, on a Thursday morning on the East Coast, as you listen on a Thursday, we'll run through every game in the NFL Week 2 rotation. Alex, let's bring you in here. How you doing? Good to have you back. Greg, I'm doing great, buddy. That was a really fun Week 1, that, that Raiders versus Ravens game, and then you have the the Chiefs coming back against the Browns. It's, if you ever get Mahomes at plus money live, you have to just kind of take it, right? Yeah, you know, I'm not much of a live better, but I definitely can never disagree with that. Are you hitting the live bets pretty hard? Oh, absolutely. I definitely, when I saw Mahomes go plus money, yeah, I had to take that. It was It was just too good to be true. You have to play that one. Overall, a very good week for the underdogs. Alex, off the top of your head, name the only four favorites that covered in week one. Oh, that's tough. Um, well, it depends on the, the 49ers line. Right, definitely closing the, line. Yeah, the Rams definitely covered. Rams is one. Um. We got one more at home and then two road favorites. Uh, I'm just thinking Bills lost as favorites. Washington lost as a slight favorite. They might have closed an underdog. All right, hit me with it. So in the other home, the other home team was Carolina covering. Okay, against- barely. 
barely right. It was, uh, I was on that side and I was kind of, you know, don't you ever just get that feeling too? Like I was getting that feeling in that game laying four. <laughs> I'm up 19, nothing at one point, And I see the jets make it 19, eight. And I'm kind of just thinking as it stays 19, eight late third quarter or whatever, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, well, Carolina is not exactly, you know, an offense that I expect to strike at any moment. They got some good weapons, but Darnold first game, like they don't seem to be distancing themselves. Like I'm getting more worried that as that back door looks more and more open. And I don't know if you get those kinds of queasy feelings, but that had just atrocity written all over it. And sure enough, the Jets did on a third and goal from because if you remember that series, I don't know if you were on it with me, but it got to first and goal. There was like two minutes left. It got to first and goal for Jets and they took a holding penalty. So now it's first and goal from the 20. So I'm thinking, all right, well, probably going to end up with a fourth and goal from a decent ways out and they're going to have to go for it or they're down 19-8. So maybe they kick a field goal and they still are down eight and they're outside the number. They end up getting the third and goal on the seven, and they score. So they get to 20 yards and three plays. And I was just like, well, of course, now they're down 19-14, going to go for two to make it a three-point game, and I'm going to get hosed because at that point there wasn't enough time left for Carolina to score. Yeah, to come back and score. Don't yeah. you just get those feelings? Oh, absolutely. Where I, you just know, oh, God, this is not going to end well. Oh, yeah. I always feel like when I'm on the – you know, you feel like it's the right side in that situation. You feel like you're always going to get too many screwed. times to know that it's just always going to be. Oh, easy. absolutely. You're always going to get screwed. Imagine 49ers betters. Oh, God. You, you feel like you had. I mean, at the closing number, you feel like that game's over. Right. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. So anyway, Carolina and the Rams were the home favorites that covered and then the road chalk was Seattle as a short favorite against Indy and uh, Denver as short chalk against the Giants. I did have, I did have Denver. I love, love Ben Teddy two gloves. He can't, you can't yeah. bet against this guy. I'll be honest. I've been pounding the drum for him in years past, but I was on the yeah. Giants was not expecting that kind of role. First start for him with Denver as a road favorite. That was kind of screaming fade as it is, but yeah. Uh, he ends up getting the cash as a short road favorite. Continues to be one of the most profitable bets. He's in the gambling hall of fame. That much is for sure. First bet. <laughs> Absolutely. So I have a trend for you, Greg. Yeah, me. Since 2014, 60.4% of teams that lose by double digits in week one go on to cover in week two. So there's seven teams that fit the trend. Wow. Seven teams lose by double digits. Okay, well, I, I just had to guess, made you guess, so now I'll guess. Um, so we had the Green Bay Packers, obviously, lose by double digits. We had Jacksonville lose by double digits to Houston. We had Chicago lose by double digits to the Rams. So that's three. Uh, you said there's seven? Yeah, seven teams. Atlanta lose by double digits to Philadelphia. Yep. Uh, We had Tennessee lose by double digits to Arizona. Yep, no Arthur Smith. You you called that. 
Yeah, of course I didn't bet Arizona, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Uh, and then so I got two more, right? Yeah. Hmm. Teddy two gloves. Oh right, the Giants lost by double digits against Bridgewater. And I am oh did he? Indy lose by double digits to Seattle? Yeah, your best buddy, Carson Wentz. Oh, God. Well, How boring was that Seattle game? It, doesn't that just feel like they just came in and out, just took care of business? It didn't yeah, even feel close yeah, at you all. You know what? Like, while we're on the trends thing, I don't have it with me off the top of my head, and uh, I, I that's partially because Seattle's back in the Pacific Northwest this weekend, but – I do know that both Pete Carroll and uh, Sean McVay have been pretty good doing the cross-country trip. Um, and I do also want to point out that uh, San Francisco this week, they are practicing in West Virginia. And Kyle Shanahan uh, has routinely done this stay on the East Coast thing. So I know we were thinking Denver might do it going down yeah, to Jacksonville. I love that. I love that. And we, uh, we I like it a lot, that, too. We hit up that. Broncos beat writer and we asked him and he said that Denver was traveling back you know and I and I don't know like I, and, and so I think that's interesting because I just mentioned Shanahan keeping the 49ers on the east coast Carroll and McVeigh having good track records making these trips Fangio a younger head coach like I wonder if that factors in a little bit where a guy with less head coaching experience doesn't see the value in keeping the body clocks the same for his team because I think we forget like these guys are human beings they're waking up like I mean jet lag is a real thing and you travel to a game cross country on a Saturday or whenever they do it and have to play like I think it's a real thing I've always said that and I think when you see these coaches particularly the more experienced ones keep their team on the coast or even if they're not doing that I have to think there's some secret sauce with McVeigh and with Carroll and the guys that are good making the trip and that they're doing things that other coaches aren't when they have to travel that far. Yeah, I would tend to lean to guys like Carroll and McVeigh over Vic Fangio. But I think there's something to be said. There's definitely two schools of thought. Like, do you go home and sleep in your own bed and feel the comfort of home or do you stay on the road Stay in a hotel, but so that, you're on the, the coast. I, I don't know. You're staying on the road. And I think in addition to the body clocks kind of still being in the same time zone, there's probably some good, especially early in the season, some good team bonding that you can get out of it, too. I mean, every year. The That's a great point. Getting, I like you know? that. Yeah, I like I like that idea of like camaraderie and you're all staying together in the same hotel versus everyone goes home and, you know, does your own thing and then goes to practice. Like you've been going to practice and doing the same thing for weeks in training right. camp at home. So, right. Yeah, so now it's like, all right, well, if you, you made the 53, you're kind of, you're not sweating, getting cut or anything. So you just kind of get to know the group that you're going to be with for the next four months. So like, I, I think Shanahan, I mean, we'll get into the Eagles and 49ers later, but I, I just, uh, I think that he's on to something doing what he always does. Yeah, I have to agree. I, I'm going to side with those guys over Vic Fangio. So right. I think so, that's the right move. <laughs> it's the Carolina Panthers, the first game in the rotation on Sunday, hosting the New Orleans Saints. 
And we're seeing New Orleans laying three on the road. Looks like a juice three at Bet Online. So some shops may still be at three and a half. Total in this game at 45. Uh, and Alex, we talked about this game on our Twitter spaces. As, uh, you know, I think that's one of the things I like the most about Sunday nights when lines open is just your quick glance, five minutes or less, what jumps out at you. And this did in the case of how short the number was. And I think you get a lot of these games in the NFL where you have the trappy short road favorite where, you know, we'll get to Denver in a minute. Like they're laying six against Jacksonville. Like you have road favorites like that too, where, you know, they're just far and away the better team and you don't have to think twice about it. And that's why they're favored by that much on the road. But then you have these little trappy road favorites where it feels that way because it's, it's, it feels like New Orleans coming off of such an impressive win against Green Bay, like they should be closer to that Denver price range this week in the five and a half, six range, what we're seeing in New England on the road in a divisional game against the Jets. And as we talked about, Carolina hung on by the skin of their teeth to cover the number. And even for the from a non-gambling standpoint, I mean, that game did get kind of interesting down the stretch with the Jets kind of giving themselves a little bit of late life. So, to see this number come as short as it did surprised me and made me think that this is a divisional dog I'm going to be interested in in Carolina. Uh, So, I'm probably going to take the three, uh, given that I think this is probably a pretty close game. Uh, I don't see New Orleans rolling right through Carolina the same way they did Green Bay. And I don't know if this is something that's gotten out there as much this year because of the fact that New Orleans rolled as convincingly as they did, but they've historically struggled in the first couple of weeks of the season. And I don't fully know why I think it might in part just be the fact that Sean Payton is a little slow to unleash his full bag of tricks Two and 12, this is before last year, or before last week, entering this season, two and 12 against the spread in weeks one and two since 2014, and lost four of their last six games in weeks one and two by more than a touchdown. So I think that, you know, we talked about the kind of vanilla game plan of the football team, perhaps, with Heineke. I think Peyton, just as a coach, doesn't as I said, unleashes full bag of tricks. Uh, and, and that's why Jameis Winston throws for what he throw for less than 200 yards and still had five touchdowns, like kind of weird. So I think Carolina is definitely the side that if you're going to play this game uh, and I would take the three or three and a half, if you can get that hook, certainly do it. Also, you have no Marshawn Lattimore for New Orleans. You have no Marcus Davenport for New Orleans. It's a defensive end in a corner that they're down on defense. And their center, Eric McCoy, is going to be out. And we know that New Orleans is going to want to pound the rock with Alvin Kamara and Tony Jones. And Jameis, as I said, even if he has to throw for a lot of touchdowns, he's not going to throw for a lot of yardage. So I think New Orleans, a little dinged up, a little bit of a fishy line. Give me the divisional dog at home. Carolina catching the three. Yeah, I'm with you. I grabbed 
Carolina three and a half early in the week. I love the hook at home, divisional dog. Like you said, no Lattimore. I think that's a huge loss. I really like I like Sam Darnold. I like him away from Adam Gase. I think he looked pretty solid last week. Granted, they could only put up, you know, 19 points against the against the Jets, but it's still a weapons heavy offense. I really like Carolina Panthers. Right, that's I the other thing. Like I realize that uh, we don't talk about Carolina in the same way we do the Chiefs, but they certainly got the better weapons in this game and. If we're looking at weapons, again, Lattimore being out, like you would think there's a big play to Robbie Anderson or DJ Moore here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think they can control the game as well. They have a really good rushing attack. McCaffrey out of the backfield as well. Yeah, I think they have way more weapons than the Saints do. And I think Lattimore is a huge loss. As we record on Wednesday, not only Lattimore, uh, Quan Alexander missed practice eight Saints in total mispractice, and I didn't mention this, six of their offensive coaches tested positive for COVID, so uh, again, like, the game's obviously going to be played, like, I don't think we have to worry about that, but it, it sounds like there's a lot of questions about availability with the Saints right now. Yeah, it's definitely something to consider throughout the week, you, you see these positive COVID tests pop up, it's just hard to hard to gauge what what the offensive coaches mean. Obviously, it matters. It's going to be a detriment to their offense. Jane, with I mean, a new, with a new a quarterback. Game. Yeah, right. With a new quarterback. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm on the same side here. Let's keep things moving and go to Lake Erie, where we have the Cleveland Browns. One of three double-digit favorites in week two, Cleveland. Land some lumber against the Houston Texans at 12 and a half, a total of 48. Alex, I don't have much here. I know you lean Browns. I will say I probably slightly agree with that lean just on the basis that Cleveland was right there against Kansas City. And and had I, I think I would have liked this less if Cleveland won the game against Kansas City like they probably should have. Because then you're thinking maybe a letdown. What reason do they have for margin? Maybe they come out flat. What reason do they have for margin against the Houston Texans? Well, now they have reason reason for margin against the Houston Texans because they lost. Pittsburgh won, you know, and I, you know, and, and not that we're taking Cincinnati all that seriously for a division title, but Cincinnati won as well. So I, I think if you're Cleveland now, you're thinking well. We, let's just play the same way we did against the Chiefs, and the Texans aren't going to stage a similar comeback, and we'll win this game by 20. And so I think situationally I align with the Cleveland side, but one note I had on this game that probably gives me enough cause for pause, largest spread in the Baker Mayfield era in Cleveland, which isn't a huge surprise, but is he a quarterback that Odell Beckham Jr. is going to miss the game again? Uh, we don't associate Cleveland being a high strike, quick attack offense, uh, even though they did score pretty well last week against Kansas City. So that would be the one cause for pause here and probably why I'll stay away. But I'd lean to the Browns. Yeah, I think this is a Browns or pass. I'd, 
I think this is the perfect spot to play the Browns at home, coming off a loss, really competitive loss. And the Texans are on their high horse. That was the Super Bowl for the Texans. That was their biggest game. Came out. I, I don't know. Really we may have given out the Texans here. <laughs> we did. And that, that was more, I think, a fate of, of Urban Meyer. I think right. the Browns are in a great spot here to really just pour it on for the Texans. Like, are we sure the Texans are still not the worst team in the NFL? I'm not so sure. I I think they probably are. I I could see the Browns putting up a solid 35. And then this Browns defense is going to be way more dominant than the, tech, than the Jaguars were. The Jaguars let them just do whatever they wanted. Like, made Tyrod yeah, Taylor. Yeah, and Alex, like the other a, thing, too. As much as you say that about Houston and how they might still be the worst team in the NFL, like we talked about maybe like I mentioned how I might like even the Houston side here if Cleveland had won, thinking they like, let down off the Kansas City win. Um obviously they lost the game, so that doesn't apply here, but you could also you could also argue a little bit of a letdown here for Houston, right? I mean they they get that win and you know, now they just go back to being the worst team in the NFL. Like the Jags last year. Again, this brought me up to why I liked Houston last week. Jags, everybody was saying, oh, they suck, they suck, they suck all offseason, and they win as an eight-point dog at home against Indy. Houston, much shorter dog against the Jags. Um, But we obviously all know what happened with the Jags the rest of the season last year. They ended up being the worst team and losing 15 straight. So uh, you, you would certainly think that it's a game where Houston looks more like the preseason expectation Houston Texans. Yeah, it just feels like the perfect spot, especially at home. If this was on the road, I'd be a little question. But I think the Browns are the play here. I, I think they'll come out rolling. They can't quick strike like we were saying, but they can really run the ball back and forth. They're, they're going to put up a lot of points. I don't know if the Texans can really keep up here. Let's move forward and stay in the AFC North where we have the Cincinnati Bengals traveling to Chicago to take on the Bears at Soldier Field. Chicago, one of those teams that lost by double digits in week one. But the money is coming in against the Bears in this game. Uh, Alex, I'll tip my cap to you uh, with getting a good number on the road underdog Cincinnati Bengals. This game opened three. It's all the way down to one. I didn't have much of a lean when the game opened. Uh, and I don't really now either, uh, just because, you know, I think as good of a win as that was for Cincinnati last week, a lot of that, too, was maybe the right spot. Like, the stars maybe aligned. I know you had Cincinnati last week. And I think you could certainly make the argument, well, Burrow's back. First game in Cincinnati where they have a full crowd there to see him. And... You know, he's first game with his college teammate, Jamar Chase, at home, and Chase scores. And and some of that, I think, maybe goes away here. So, you know, coming off the win, now going on the road in a game that oddsmakers are now saying is basically a pick I don't know that I trust Cincinnati against anybody as in in this price range on the road. But having said that, I don't know that I want Chicago either here because – Listen, Matt Nagy clearly must not think Justin Fields is ready for a more expansive role because 
you know, if Matt Nagy goes six and ten or, or six and eleven, excuse me, or five and twelve, he's getting fired. So, like, I don't think he's going to afford to waste to, to to waste too much time as far as when he goes to Fields. So the fact that he's not right now makes me think that he really just truly believes that Fields isn't ready. Uh, what that means for this game, I mean. You could make the argument Andy Dalton revenge game, but he was playing the Bengals last year with the Cowboys, so I don't fully buy that. Uh, just the Chicago side that I don't really want much of. Watched the primetime game last week, and nothing really inspired much confidence in the Bears. So I'll stay away, but like I said, I, I tip my cap to you. I, I think you said you got three with Cincinnati when it opened. Yeah, I did grab three, and that was mainly just a play on the number. I don't necessarily believe in this Cincinnati team, but I did love what I saw last week. I really like to see Joe Burrow like come out looking very confident. I feel like those knee injuries is just such a mental game. You can see uh, training camp all year, but coming out there and actually being mentally strong and playing well against a, a full-time defense. It was impressive. It was very impressive to see what Joe Burrows did. And then the Chicago defense just looked lost in the secondary. I like their front seven a lot, but the secondary looked lost. I'm seeing an over-under of 46. That might be a good play to the over. Because the Bears were really moving the ball against the yeah, Rams. Yeah, and I'll say that, too. Uh, I was on the over in the Cincinnati-Minnesota game last week. I, I think Cincinnati's just an over team in general with the playmakers that they have on offense and a defense that still is a work in progress. If Cincinnati's going to win, they're going to have to get used to winning high-scoring games, in my opinion, which would mean over team. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad I grabbed the three points now because – you're seeing a trend of lower, but I think the better play here, looking at it more, I think the over is a really good play. You saw Chicago moving the ball really well. I think Cincinnati has enough playmakers to move the ball really well as well. Yeah, I think this is a good over game. Let's keep things moving and go to the Western Pennsylvania, the catch-up bottle, Heinz Field, the Pittsburgh Steelers, Hosting the Las Vegas Raiders, and we're seeing Pittsburgh laying about five and a half, it looks like, at most shops. Total in this game of 47. Uh, and I'll start. I lean Pittsburgh laying the number. Uh, and I will say, I think that I, I, I saw some sixes on this game early in the week. I know it's just a half-point move, but it does sketch me out a little as someone that leans to the Pittsburgh side and seeing that number tick down off of Pittsburgh's impressive victory in Buffalo last week. And the big reason that I lean Pittsburgh, though, actually doesn't have a whole lot to do with Pittsburgh. I, I just think this is a good spot to fade the Raiders. Emotional week one win against the Ravens. And, you know, they come from behind. First game with fans in Vegas. Monday night football. So, now they're going to have to short week travel cross country. That's something that I, I know we say we don't want to play these spots blindly, but when it comes to a team like the Raiders, you aren't one of those teams that you trust like a Pete Carroll or a 
Sean McVay making this trip on a short week, it, it does get me very interested in fading them. And then, yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh, I would expect Heinz Field to be pretty fired up off of that victory in Buffalo like that. I think, actually, I'm not sure I want to lay the five and a half, but for those out there in survivor pools, I know there's going to be plenty of people that take those three double-digit favorites this week in Green Bay, Tampa, and Cleveland. I think Pittsburgh makes for a pretty good contrarian survivor play. I'd be very surprised if the Raiders off of this win travel across country on a short week and go win against a Pittsburgh team that appears to be one of the best defensive units again in the NFL. And that's really why I like the Steelers here. I don't see how the Raiders are scoring that much. We talked about the Raiders, uh, I think before we jumped on, about how their lack of playmakers uh, and weapons, uh, you know, compared to other teams, like they got to be towards the bottom as far as their skill players. And now they're facing this Steelers defense. Like I wouldn't be shocked if they scored single digits in this game. So uh, I'll go with the Steelers as a lean. One probably one of my stronger leans. Haven't bet it. Don't know that I will, uh, but definitely like the Steelers. Yeah, I'm all over the Steelers. I already played it. I played it at minus six. Unfortunately, I lost a little bit of value there. It's trending down. You see minus five and a half now. It's just the perfect spot for the Steelers. You got the – it couldn't be worse for the Raiders. You got, like you were saying, that massive emotional win. It was a massive win in overtime, and they have to travel cross-country to the East Coast, which is never good. I saw a trend this week. You see West Coast teams traveling to the East Coast with fewer than seven days rest. They're 5-12-1 against the spread, which is 20.4% cover rate. It's just a terrible spot for the Raiders, and it's a great spot for the Steelers. They're coming back from a huge win. In Buffalo. Short trip, too. Here. Buffalo to Pittsburgh. That's not too bad. <laughs> yeah, not bad at all. I love the Steelers, the winning cover here. I think this is a really sneaky, good survivor play. I actually did put this in as one of my survivor picks. I There's just – there's no way they lose this game. Yeah, yeah, no. I, uh, I'm in two survivor pools. I've already locked the Steelers in as one of my picks. And I'm, as we speak, going to lock them in in the other one. So uh, let's <laughs> go Steelers. I don't have, oh, maybe yeah. you can mail me out a terrible towel, you know, and I can have it. But actually, the <laughs> Eagles are playing at the same time. So I don't know how dialed in I'll be on this game. But uh, agreement on the Steelers side here. And uh, like I said, we shall see how it all plays itself out at the catch-up bottle. Let's move on. And uh, we mentioned Buffalo. Let's talk a little more about the Bills, as here's another divisional dog, and it's Buffalo's opponent, as the Miami Dolphins are catching a field goal down in South Florida. Looks like maybe three and a half at some shops. Excuse me, and a total of 47 and a half. Alex, this is one of the games I am least interested in, because... I know that Buffalo went to the AFC championship game last year and, you know, heavy favorite in the AFC East and, you know, but you would know better than I would. I, you probably watched the game a little more intently. 
what did Buffalo show in week one that would indicate that they should be this a road favorite in a division game against the Miami team that just went to Foxborough and won? Right, so so Buffalo they only they only allowed sixteen points. They really stifled the Steelers in the first half. They only gave up two hundred fifty two yards. The game-changing play was a punt block for a touchdown, which is obviously not on the Buffalo offense. Yeah, I really like the Buffalo Bills defense. I think the play here might be the under. I don't trust the Miami offense at all. I know two went into to New England there and won a really competitive game. I just I personally downgraded the Dolphins a little bit here, even after they won. I thought the Patriots could have easily won that game. Because of the fumbles? Yeah, it was really back and forth. You saw those turnovers going back and forth. They had the interception and the fumble. and the, Yeah, it really changed the game there. Two made a couple bad decisions. I think I would lean the Bills here, but I don't love it at three I was going to say, you don't, feel, you don't sound all that confident. I don't know that I want my no, I don't. I don't love either side, but I think if I had to get there, it would be the Bills. But more confidently, I would think the under is a play here. One other thing that I just think is interesting in this division. I suppose last year, if I'm remembering correctly, I want to say Buffalo and New England were maybe like Buffalo was a short favorite to win this division uh, over New England on the preseason prices. I think last year they were like minus 125. It was not that that big. Right. So, how do you think Buffalo and, you know what, maybe, as I said, Pittsburgh's a great defense. Maybe it's just one game. But how do you think Buffalo handles a real serious target on their back now? Because you have Miami, who's just won at New England. We'll get to New England and the Jets later. I would expect New England to win that game and go to one and one. Like I'm just saying, if these two teams hang around into December, like, I I wonder about Buffalo and just how they handle some really serious expectations this year. I think that's a great question, but it's tough to question this Bills offense. They were really strong last year. Stephon Diggs, you got Diggs, and then, but I think the running game is what really holds them back. You know, you have Zach Moss and Singletary, the two back system. It's really tough. And, it really didn't show much against the Steelers last week. Right. And and again, that that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I think you might be onto something with the under, because we know that Miami, like, they just kind of find ways. Like, it's never really all that pretty with the Dolphins, but you look up and, oh, there's Miami, 20 to 17 with two minutes left in the game or whatever. Like, they just they just kind of do it with defense and Flores is a defensive guy and you know, I, I, you know, when Buffalo's offense didn't look good last week, so I, I definitely think if I were to play the total, I would agree with that lean on the under. But not a lot else for me on this game. Anything else for you before we move on? No, I think that's about it. I would lean the Bills to win the game. I, I just think if this was minus three, I would be more confident. But three in the hook for Miami at home, I could see this game laying three. Or, you know, Miami winning a close one. So let's move on and go to Indianapolis, where we have the Colts 
a home dog against the Los Angeles Rams. And here is Sean McVay making the trip, not really the East Coast, but going into the Eastern time. Is any actually, I don't know, is Indianapolis Eastern or Central time zone? <laughs> no, it's got to be Central. Okay. All right. Well, nonetheless, some lengthy travel <laughs> for the Rams. Um, you know what? I'm going to look that up right now because I want to say that I had a friend who went to Notre Dame and also spent some time in Chicago that weekend. He was at a Notre Dame football game. And he was driving back and forth between time zones. Uh, yeah, right now, as we record on a Wednesday evening for me here in the central time zone, Tuesday, Thursday morning for you, 12.54 a.m. in Indianapolis right now, Alex. So they are in the eastern wow, time zone. East Coast. That's, yeah. that's breaking news. Breaking news to me. Learn something new every day. But <laughs> having said that, here's McVeigh going back into the Eastern time zone, I guess. And uh, he's laying three and a half. Indy was my lean when this number opened. A total 48 and a half, by the way. Um, I, I think I will still get there with the Colts come game day. I want to see if this number balloons up a little more. I certainly expect there to be a good deal of public money on the Rams. Uh, but kind of in the same way that we just finished talking about Buffalo and Buffalo's offense not really inspiring a lot of confidence. Like if you were watching the Red Zone channel or if you were just kind of flipping around on your Sunday ticket package and like you weren't even going to the Indy Seattle game last week. Like it seemed like a very flat performance from Indy in an opener at home. You know, it's just a two and a half point home dog against Seattle. It wasn't like they this that was David versus Goliath. So that gives me a little cause for pause. Having said that, though, I talked about this. I think this is an interesting angle on this game. Frank Reich is the head coach for Indianapolis, and he was the offensive coordinator for Doug Peterson in Philadelphia when the Eagles won the Super Bowl in the 2017 season in February 2018. And Doug, Doug Peterson had a very good track record against Sean McVay. Uh, well, I say very good. He went two and one straight up and against a spread against McVay. But those two wins I thought were really impressive because one of them was a road game in which they clinched a playoff spot as a short underdog, winning the game by eight. And that was a game in which Carson Wentz blew his knee out and they had to switch to Nick Foles and they still found a way to win the game. Reich was on that staff. So I think that that was an Eagles team that philosophically just knew how to attack Sean McVay. Uh, and then the year after, they were a seven. They won by a touchdown as a 13 and a half point road underdog in Los Angeles on a Sunday night football game, also with Nick Foles. So I guess uh, maybe that proves the point that what I'm getting at doesn't mean a ton because it is Carson Wentz. And not Nick Foles quarterbacking the Indianapolis Colts. But I just think when I watched both of those games, I thought oh, Mc, Doug is three or four steps ahead of McVay right now. And, uh, you know, clearly uh, seemed to do a good job. The one game that McVay beat Doug Peterson in was last year against the, in Philly. Eagles ended up just being a terrible team. So, like, I, I don't really look at that the same way I do the other two in which the Rams were still favored in, and one of them was a two-touchdown favorite for the Rams. So I think there's probably a phone call that gets made between Doug Peterson and, and Frank Reich, and Doug maybe has given Frank Reich a few tips on uh, what to look for, and 
Indianapolis, I mean, you know, Carson Wentz, like, it's getting close to put up or shut up time for him. Like, new change of scenery with your old OC. Like, okay, you want to say the Eagles were the problem, then you got to go out and start playing better than you did in week one. So, slight lean for me on Indianapolis here. Yeah, I would just like lean as well. I'm I'm a little worried about Quinn Nelson and Eric Fisher. They're two strong offensive linemen. Quinn Nelson, he didn't practice today. Uh, Eric Fisher was limited, but you saw the Rams' defense against a run last week against Chicago, and you saw Montgomery really go off. Yeah, Rams he looked defense is about suspect. Yeah, that that was honestly surprising. The Bears put up 134 rushing yards. I was kind of surprised at that. Yeah, as was I. No, that was definitely one of the things. And, and maybe that's something that helps the Bears against Cincinnati this week. But, um, you know, and, and hey, Alex, like I didn't, we didn't even mention it, but maybe that vulnerability. I think we talked about this a little bit on our spaces last week when this game opened. Maybe that vulnerability that we saw from the Rams' run defense carries over. And if so, we certainly know that the Colts are a team that wants to pound that rock if they can get Quentin Nelson and Eric Fisher dressed for this game and on the field. Jonathan Taylor, they just gave Naheem Hines a nice contract. Maybe that could take some pressure off Carson Wentz. We know that Indy's going to – they're not like they're loaded at receiver, so they're going to want to run the ball. And maybe they see some things that – Chicago is able to exploit and it carries over a bit. Yeah, exactly, which is why I would lean the Colts, which makes you kind of think maybe an underplay here. Are the Colts really going to give up those same touchdowns that the Bears gave up? You saw the right. Matt Safford gave up. I mean, he dropped back and then just went wild with some of those crazy touchdown passes. Just blown coverages, and then they couldn't touch it down. Van Jefferson wide open. So, yeah, I, I think this might lean more to the under with hopefully more rushing attacks, and I think the Colts will try to exploit the run game here early. Let's stay in the NFC West and go from the L.A. Rams to the San Francisco 49ers. As we talked about earlier in the pod, they are staying out on the East Coast uh, practicing in West Virginia this week and then making the short trip to Philadelphia to take on the Eagles, where they are a short road favorite of about three. It looks like at most shops, a juice three. So there might still be some three and a half out there at some books. Um, Alex, I know you got the Eagles catching three in the hook total, by the way, in this game, 49 and a half. I don't have a whole lot here because I think the Eagles surprised me so much in a good way as an Eagles fan that, I would probably lean to that side, but as I said, we like Shanahan. We think he's got the coast-to-coast travel thing down, staying in West Virginia. That, that That's a bet-on type of thing for me. Um, and, you know, sometimes with a, like we, we just talked about in the beginning how teams that lose by double digits often don't cover numbers in week – or they do cover numbers in week two. Well, I, I'm kind of going to look at the inverse here and – Teams that win by a lot, I don't love backing them again in week two, uh, especially in the case of the Eagles, where they were one of the lowest win totals on the board this year. And I did sprinkle the Eagles at five and a half to one to win the NFC East, just on the basis that they do have a good offensive line. 
they do have a good defensive line. And if you can win the line of scrimmage most weeks, you're going to be in in a lot of games. And that's clearly the, the path here for the Eagles. But San Francisco has obviously prided itself on being very good in the trenches. That's what got them to the Super Bowl. And that's what has them as not the favorite, but one of the contenders to get back to the Super Bowl this year. It's those lines for the 49ers. So um, kind of a strength versus strength matchup for me. I'm excited to watch it as an Eagles fan. I am not excited to bet it. <laughs> yeah, I just like the Eagles here with the hook. I got three and a half. You got the home dog at three and the hook. And then you saw the you know, Niners. You know the link's going to be rocking. Oh, it's going to be absolutely insane. You saw last week that the Niners, they gave up 311 yards through the air. I know it was garbage time. A lot of people say that. They they gave up 17 points before the fourth quarter. So it's not like they were really holding down the lines there. The lines were still scoring. They were still moving the ball. Obviously, they had that crazy, insane comeback for the backdoor cover. But, yeah, I really like the Eagles here with the hook. I really would not play under three and a half. I I just like this spot I got at three and a half earlier in the week. Last thing before we move on to the next game. I got to ask you, if you're in your fantasy leagues, do you do uh, waiver priority or the free agent acquisition budget? I think you got to go fab, but... I gotta ask how you do how you do your waivers. Oh yeah, we we do the budget for sure. Okay, and you one hundred or a thousand. I think we're a hundred. How much did Elijah Mitchell go for this week? Oh, I actually we had one league was two hundred and he went for a hundred. Right. Yeah. Which is absolutely insane. But so I'm I understand. A, I understand the desperation. It's I'm in a league week with, one, but uh, Fab that is a thousand is your budget, and he went for five thirty six. So even more than fifty percent in that in my league. It's insane. That's, yeah. It's it's way we'll too see. much. We'll see. I mean, I, hey, I understand. Man likes to rotate backs. He just signed Carryon Johnson to his practice squad. Trenton Cannon who just got cut by the Ravens. He signed him to his practice squad. So uh, I, for the fantasy people out there, I think Jeff Wilson Jr. is an interesting stash when he returns from the pup list. Now that Mostert's out for the year, Wilson ended up being a pretty nice usable back for San Francisco down the stretch last year. Niners were kind of out of it, so it didn't really factor in as much to the playoff hunt, but something to consider. Jeff Wilson Jr., if you have IR spots in your league, might be worth a stash. Let's keep things moving and go to Jacksonville, where we have the Denver Broncos playing in their second consecutive Eastern time zone game after San Francisco did it, playing Detroit and Philadelphia this week. Denver goes from playing the Giants to playing the Jacksonville Jaguars. As we had mentioned, we talked to a Giants, a Broncos beat writer on Twitter who said that the team did fly back from northern New Jersey to Denver and will practice, I figure, a full week there before heading down to Florida to take on the Jags. That concerns me a little bit, as I said, with we talked about this a little bit earlier with Vic Fangio being a less experienced coach, maybe not valuing the team bonding and the staying on the East Coast and the body clocks element of the back-to-back games with cross-country travel. So that's a little bit of a concern. Having said that, though, this was still a lean for me on Denver when the number opened 
Not obviously a ton of action on this game. Looks like it's still at six in favor of the road team, Denver. And, of course, the total in this game is kind of sitting pretty steady, too, at 45 and a half. Uh, I mean, it's really pretty simple. On one hand, as I said, Shannon, or excuse me, Fangio, an inexperienced coach that really needs to start winning games. He's in his third season there with Denver. And, you know, I think the not for long acronym with NFL really comes into play with coaches. I mean, you see it pretty quickly. Uh, unless you're John Gruden and you just get a 10 year deal and you just get to chill and, and just keep going six and 10. Like you, you do that for three years in a row. And, and by the end of the third year, you're going to be fired or by the fourth year that you're going to be in the hottest seat of any of the coaches in the NFL. So that's kind of what I'm getting at with Fangio is that early on, he really needs to win these games uh, to set himself up for the rest of the year and to secure his job heading into 2022. I'm not saying the Broncos need to make the playoffs, but they definitely need to move the program forward there and win the games that they should win like this one. Uh, and then, of course, on the other side, I mean, Urban Meyer, I mean, like, do we even think this guy belongs in the NFL? Like, he might just be a weekly fade. And, you know, I, I at this number, given how well Denver played last week against the Giants and how bad Jacksonville looked against Houston, again, that's kind of a squarey comment to make with the one-week overreaction type thing that we're talking about. But I can only look to Denver. The travel stuff for Denver did concern me a little bit. Not sure I'll play it, but lean with the road chalk. Yeah, I'm going to also lean the Broncos here. Really, the Urban Meyer situation down in Denver, especially after you saw that USC job open up, it's it's really concerning. I, I feel like he's not going to last the entire season. You saw the Broncos held the Giants to six yards rushing last week with arguably a way better running back. So that makes the Jags way too one-dimensional. I'm kind of worried here about Lawrence. How is he going to do against this Broncos secondary? I think the Broncos have enough weapons despite losing Judy. I still think they have enough to put up a bunch of points on this Jags defense that we saw was very lackluster last week. It just comes back to it. I think the Broncos have the better quarterback and the better coach. I really don't trust Urban Meyer here. I think we could see him going back to college <laughs> sooner than <laughs> later here, dude. Yeah, that's a good point, too, about Lawrence against the Denver defense because we saw them really eat up Danny Dimes last week. And Lawrence making his second start. We know that the Jags' defense is terrible, and that's why Houston can go up and down the field on them. So, then if you're back in Jacksonville, you're thinking that Lawrence is going to be able to show himself better at home, but this doesn't feel like the spot in the defense that he'd do it against. So it's probably another factor in like in Denver. No, absolutely. Doesn't this feel like a terrible spot, like a first home game against the Broncos? I just don't see it here with Lawrence. He looked Okay, I like their weapons on offense. I do like the Jags' weapons. I like Chenault a lot. I do like their running back. I like Robinson a lot. But like I was saying, the the Broncos' defense really held the Giants to nothing last week until the last minute. So are we going to see much more from the Jags' offense? I'm not so sure. I would definitely lean Broncos here. So let's keep things moving. 
and go to MetLife Stadium where we have a battle of a couple of AFC East teams as the New England Patriots travel to MetLife to take on the New York Jets. New England playing its second consecutive divisional game after letting one slip away in Foxborough against the Miami Dolphins. The Patriots now look for their first win of the year, as do the New York Jets, as we're seeing New England now out to about a six-point favorite at most shops. Total in this game is hovering in the low 40s. It looks like it's 43 at most spots. And this was a game, Alex, that we talked about in our Twitter spaces on Sunday night as a game both of us were going to be interested in. And uh, it is a max play that I locked in at five. Uh, If you can get six, I would probably still play it, although the key number six can be one of those uh, kind of ancillary key numbers after three and seven. We can see six land a bit. But having said that, I I just think you look at this spot here for the New England. Belichick off a loss. We know that that's something we want to bet on. Belichick against rookie quarterbacks. We know that that's something we want to bet on. 21 in six straight up is Bill Belichick in his career in 27 games against rookie quarterbacks. And we talk about desperation in week two and teams that we don't want to see go, you know, 0-2 and the playoff odds that shift significantly against you if you are 0-2. Well, New England has not been 0-2 since 2001, 20 years. So that right there makes me think that we're going to get a New England team that treats this game like it's a game in December and going back to the rookie quarterback angle for Belichick and the defense against Zach Wilson. Well, now we found out this week that Makai Becton is going to be out for a significant portion of the first part of the season for the Jets. So they're going to be down their starting left tackle. This seems like big trouble for Zach Wilson and company on the offensive side of the ball for Gang Green. Zach Wilson got sacked six times last against Carolina. The Jets also got outgained on the ground in that game against Carolina, 111 to 45. Not exactly a good way of supporting a young quarterback. Plus, we all know that New England's MO is going to be to want to run the ball again. So I don't see any reason why New England can't outgain New York on the ground the same way Carolina did. Last point for me here, why I think this is my best bet of the week. New England last week won the yardage 393 to 259 against Miami. Total plays were 70 to 52. Time of possession, 37 minutes for New England, 23 minutes for Miami. They won the box score. They lost because of the fumbles from Ramondre Stevenson and Damian Harris. Always like betting on those teams too, returning the following week, especially when it's a team like New England that basically chewed up yardage and did everything it wanted to do, as I said, with that kind of ground and pound, chew up the clock, formula we expect them to follow they did that last week and just didn't win the game I think they do that again here and win by double digits New England minus five yeah I'm with you Greg you nailed it also rookie quarterback and a rookie coach give me the way more experienced coach and who I think is the better quarterback I think Jones is going to have one of the better careers out of this draft really like what I saw last week a couple key mistakes but I think overall over good no, they looked they looked good on offense. I really like Damian Harris. I am a bit worried about that the Jets front seven. I think they have a really good defensive line. And Patriots might be down a starting tackle, but like you said, Becton out. I think it said four to eight weeks he had surgery. 
So that's a huge loss, especially for a rookie quarterback. You really need that left tackle in there. So, yeah, I think this is a pretty simple one. You're betting the way better coach and what I think is the better quarterback, the better offense, the better defense. Yeah, I really like this. I saw it creeping up a little. I really wish we got in that night we were talking about when it was open three and a half. This is up to five, but yeah. I'm still comfortable with the five. Where I, are you in at? You're... Yeah, I got five as well. Okay, yeah. So I, yeah, you know, that's, that's one thing before we move on to our next game. That's one thing I want to ask you about. How much, Alex, will you – like? because I feel like this was one where the courage of your conviction says New England's aside, I'm going to play it before the line moves and I'll take my chances that, you know, maybe there's some wise guy support for the home dog or a division game. I'll take my chances that that's not the case on this game and play it at three and a half versus how much would you wait to see? Okay. My initial presumption was right. Now it's at four or now it's four and a half. Now I'm going to play it. Like how do you weigh that when you see the lines open? Yeah, I think that's probably one of the toughest things in betting is when you see, especially NFL, you see those opening lines and they can they can change really quickly. I think I think this was up to five just the next morning, so you saw some some bets coming in over on the Patriots, and obviously I think it was a pretty no brainer that this line was only going to go one way. So, so this think, is one we could have bet at three and a half yeah, and not exactly. worried about I, it going down. I think it's super tough to predict the movement, but in a game like this, I think the only side that people are going to bet is the Patriots, at least early. Like you might see some people come Sunday if this gets up to six and a half seven, or even right. seven that would grab that. But yeah, I think there was really only one way this line was going. So I wish we, we just uh, went in there on three and a half, but yeah, I'm still and honestly, the people that would grab a seven with the Jets are probably the people that grabbed a three and a half with New England and exactly. already exactly you get that yeah you get that very solid middle there right so just something to think about and I do want to uh, bring that into my next our next game which happens to be my second favorite play of the week as we're going to go out to the desert with the Minnesota Vikings rotation number two eight seven traveling to Phoenix to take on the Arizona Cardinals rotation number two eight eight. Minnesota currently a three and a half point road pooch, a total of 51 in this game. Uh, and Alex, this was another game that I felt pretty confident about early in the week and bet it early in the week. I do think it opened four and a half. I got in at four with the purple people eaters. And now this is down to three and a half. Uh, but this was one that we talk often about week two overreactions versus week two and some of the things that. Uh, you know, overreactions in both directions, excuse me, when it comes to the teams that played really well and sometimes their numbers getting inflated versus the teams that played not so well and sometimes those numbers being inflated in the other direction. And I think we have both of those things working for us here. Arizona travels to Nashville, blows the doors off Tennessee. Very impressive week one performance from Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury's team. And then Minnesota Comes out flat against Cincinnati, is able to work its way back into an overtime, still loses the game as a short road favorite. Disappointing result there for the Vikings on the road. And now we see this number come at four and a half as it opened that Minnesota's a dog after being a three-point road favorite against Cincinnati. So I think that in and of itself proves screams overreaction and that this number was one that I was going to be interested in playing with the road dog. Mike Zimmer, I want to talk about him for a minute. He's been, you know, he's not Belichick, but nobody is. 
and he's one of the more, you know, he's up there as far as longest tenured coaches. You know, he hasn't been in Minnesota as long as Mike or Mike Tomlin's been in Pittsburgh, but he's in his eighth season now with the Vikings. This is a guy that I trust in desperation spots like this. And I looked it up just out of curiosity of the previous seven seasons, the Vikings have only started 0-2 once under Mike Zimmer. So I think he's a coach that I trust to understand the value of getting to 1-1 one and, one and winning this game, especially when you consider the fact that week one, they lost at Cincinnati. If you're going to lose games in the NFL, you want to lose those games out of conference that aren't going to come into play in tiebreakers. Arizona and Minnesota last year were two teams that both finished on the outside of the playoff bubble. And it's looking like this year are going to be two more playoff bubble teams. So this could have a huge impact come December on where these teams are at. Obviously, everybody in the NFC North lost. So you would think that that maybe reinvigorates Minnesota a little bit. And this game, as I said, if Green Bay is to win the division, could have huge tiebreaker implications come December. So there's that element of it, too. Vikings also on deck. Granted, these two games are at home, but they play Seattle next and they play Cleveland after that. So two teams that are probably better than Arizona, who they have to play after this game. So I think this is as close to a must win as you're going to get in week two for the Vikings. And they're a four and a half, now three and a half point road dog. Again, I got in at four. Last point here. uh, If you're up for a Patrick Peterson revenge game, I'm kind of down drinking that Kool-Aid. Maybe you play a DeAndre Hopkins under prop. I think Patrick Peterson has a real good game against his old buddies there in the desert. I think Minnesota probably wins this game outright, but I'm going to take the three and a half that it is at right now. I already got in at four. Overreaction with the line of both teams disappointing in week one and Arizona overachieving. Mike Zimmer being a guy I trust. Vikings in a spot where two big games on deck. They really can't afford to drop this one, I don't think. And a Patrick Peterson revenge game, I'll take Minnesota plus the points on the road. I'm with you. I got in at four as well. I actually saw this today on WinBet. The Cardinals are getting 96.7% of the spread handle, but we saw this drop a whole point from four and a half to three and a half. I really think Mike Zimmer is going to have his defense fired up and prepared. I like that. Patrick Peterson revenge angle. If anyone knows this, this Cardinals receiving core, it's, exactly. it's him going up against him and practice every day for several years. So, yeah, I like that angle, too. I don't know if most books offer uh, defensive props, but that could be a good look. Maybe an interception. Kyler Murray can turn the ball over sometimes, fumbles, maybe something like that for Peterson. But, yeah, I'm with you on Vikings plus four. I really like this spot. I really like their offense and – I don't I don't know if Chandler Jones is going to have quite the same game as he did last <laughs> week. That's really hard to replicate. So I think Vikings have way enough weapons to keep this close. I think this is worth a, a bunny line sprinkle, maybe throw it in a in a parlay with the Eagles or, or another uh, uh, longer uh, sure. underdog there. Right. Yeah. So some agreement on a pair of sides there. My two favorite plays of the week right there, New England and Minnesota. Uh, let's keep things moving, though, and go to Florida, where we have an NFC NFC South bout between the Atlanta Falcons and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Atlanta, one of those teams that fits your trend, Alex, as far as teams that lose by double digits in week one and how they do in week two. 
And you can certainly make the argument that Atlanta, Atlanta's, there are three double-digit underdogs, and Atlanta, Detroit, Atlanta, and Houston. Atlanta's the only one of those three that also lost by double digits in week one as they go to Tampa Bay, catching 12.5, total in this game of 52. I'll keep this simple. I'm going to pass this game primarily because I was high on Atlanta coming into the year as a little bit of a sleeper. You know I like Arthur Smith. Thought he did a really good job in Tennessee, and certainly the Titans appeared to miss him in their opener against Arizona. So I do think Atlanta could figure some more things out. And, you know, you look at there were not every first year coach is going to come in right away and have success. It happened in the case of Nick Sirianni coaching against Arthur Smith. Um, And ironically enough, we had David Coley coaching against Urban Meyer as well. And we did see John, uh, I'm sorry, Brandon Staley pick up a road win against Washington last week in his coaching debut. Uh, But I think that some of it is baptism by fire to an extent for these first timers. We talk about, we just mentioned Robert Sala. He obviously lost and his team was behind most of the game against Carolina. So sometimes there is a little bit of a learning curve on the fly for these coaches. So I would not expect Atlanta to be nearly as bad as it was in week one against Philly, but obviously it's a tough spot to ask of them to bounce back in when they're going to have to go to Tampa Bay with Tampa Bay with extended time to prepare off of an emotional win with how exciting that game was against Dallas. Uh, you would think the extra time might factor in a little more in Atlanta's favor. Um, and honestly, Alex, like we'll get to it more with the Monday night game with Detroit and green Bay. Like it's just tough in my opinion to give this many points with a divisional game. Like you just expect these teams to know each other a little more, even though Arthur Smith is a first year head coach, the players know each other so well, like there's, it's tough for me to ever lay doubles in a division game. I mean, I don't like doing it period, much less a division game. So I'm going to stay away from this one. And uh, there's really not a whole lot else that uh, intrigues me about this game. And uh, I guess maybe I'll root for Atlanta because Uh, maybe they'll blow up some survivor pools and hopefully by then this is a late game. I've already cashed and moved on with the Steelers, like we said, but other than that, uh, not much for me. I do have Falcons over seven and a half wins, so I definitely will always root for them to win. But other than that, uh, yeah, this is one I'm least interested in this week. I was just thinking the same thing. This is going to probably be one of the most popular survivor picks probably this in the Packers you would think this week so you think let's, let's be top two you think of the three double digit favorites how would you rank them as far as survivor picks this week Cleveland Tampa and Green Bay that's a good question I, I think I would probably go Packers one just at home coming off a terrible game you know Rodgers yeah. is gonna be fired up right. they're not losing to the they're not losing to the Lions at home. It's just not happening. Right. I can't. I think the Browns honestly might cover, like I was saying earlier. I and don't think they're going to lose. Right. Yeah, I think this would be three for me. I, I don't know. I could see the, the Falcons have enough weapons to keep this close. That's why I I can't lay double digits, especially like you were saying, in a divisional game. The back door is just always open. Garbage right. time. The Bucks don't necessarily care about winning by 12 or more points you know and that, that's a good point about the back door always being open i would think too in a division game like fourth quarter if you're playing you know we were just talking about cincinnati losing to minnesota like if you're down by four touchdowns or three touchdowns against a team that you can only see in the super bowl and they play in the other conference and yeah you might tap out but 
if you're early in the season down big against a division team, then I would think you're going to want to fight a little more to try and send a message that, hey, we're not just going to roll over and you're going to see us again. One of those things. Absolutely. I mean, I can just see it now. The, the Bucks are up 17 late and then, you know, the Falcons just claw back and score one that's pretty meaningless Bucks in the scheme of things. But it's just like Kyle Pitts for seven. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Late with like two minutes ago, and then the Bucks just run the clock out and you cover that 12 and a half. I don't know. Come Sunday, I might be able to get there if this creeps up a little. If you could get 13 or 13 and a half, uh, I just can't see many people betting the Falcons. So I don't know. If this gets up a little, I might plug my nose and play it. But right now, sure. it's it's a pass for me. Let's go to the Pacific Northwest where we have the Tennessee Titans, one of those teams that lost by double digits in week number one, traveling to Seattle to take on the Seahawks. Um, And this also struck me as an interesting line uh, because it did at first glance feel a little high with Seattle giving, I think it opened five and a half, six, and now we're seeing six and a halves out there at most shops, total of 54. Uh, And, you know, you have to think, at least my initial inclination was, wow, like Tennessee getting that many points. Like it almost felt too good to be true. And if if I was going to lean, I'd actually maybe look to Seattle for that reason. But I don't know. I, I've kind of crashed on Tennessee. I didn't, like I said, I didn't kind of thought they'd be missing Arthur Smith, but I was kicking myself earlier in the pod for not betting Arizona. But at the same time, like I, I, I didn't love the Arizona side last week. And it's kind of the same thing here where, I don't want to like Tennessee is not like an auto fade for me, uh, but I also don't want to back them here uh, because I just think that Tennessee feels like one of the more overrated teams in the league, at least coming into the season. And that proved to be true in week one. And could this be an overreaction to the point where it's out to close to a touchdown? Yeah, I guess it could be. But my concerns about Tennessee haven't gone away. Therefore, I'm not running to back Tennessee here. So this is another pass for me. Yeah, I have a pretty strong lean on Seattle right now, but I haven't played yet. I just think Seattle at home coming off a good win. I think losing Arthur Smith is huge for Tennessee. They really look just out of sorts on offense. They couldn't do anything against a Cardinals defense that I don't think is great. You would think they'd be able to move the ball more. They couldn't even run with Henry. They really deserted that pretty early. And then Tannehill just trying to pass the entire game doesn't quite work for them. I have a strong lean on Seattle at home with fans for the first time in a long time. That place is going to be absolutely insane. You know the 12th man will be rocking. But I did just see this come across ESPN. Russell Wilson mourning the loss of his best friend. His his mental conditioning coach, Trevor Moawad, died this week at 48. I'm not quite sure what. Now, let me ask you, Alex. Is, like, but obviously, like, that's a very serious thing. But yeah, we I see, kind we of feel see. bad bringing it up, to be honest. But it's Understood. definitely something but, to consider, the quarterbacks. Right. Do you think that's kind of a bet-on thing, like, as far as, like, inspiration? Or is that more distraction? <laughs> that's a great question. I, I have no idea. It's, yeah, really like, I feel bad asking that question, but we're a gambling podcast. Right. We're trying to find any sort of angle you can. I could really see it going either way. You you hear these sports stories. I mean, look at Brett Favre that one time with 
the passing right. of his father, and then he comes out and he's absolutely on fire. Like, yeah, I could really see it go either way. Just something to note. I don't know how much that'll really factor in, but obviously that's going to be in the back of his mind. I, I feel like Russell Wilson's more a motivational type of guy. I could see him really taking that and running with it, playing you know the best he can for his best friend. So that that might push me over the edge to take the Seahawks. To be honest, as sad as it is to talk about, it's obviously not good for anyone to pass away untimely. But yeah, something to consider. Well, let's move on and uh, go from the NFC West to the AFC West, where uh, we're going to head down to Southern California. And uh, believe it or not, there's professional football in Southern California too. As much as you might have heard nonstop USC coaching rumors and you're going to continue to hear them. We do have two teams in Los Angeles and one of them is the Chargers and they are home. Maybe we'll put home in quotation marks because something tells me that the stadium so far might be flooded with Cowboys fans. (laughs) Oh my God, that's going to be every, every Cowboy fan that also inexplicably supports the Lakers are going to be wearing their Lakers (laughs) hats and their Cowboys jerseys and it's going to be it might be 60-40, maybe more. There'll probably be more USC fans say, in attendance. Maybe, maybe than, some, than had the Yankees not gone in the tank, there would have been some Yankee apparel. <laughs> uh, you'll still see the Yankee hat with the Cowboy jersey for sure. The Zeke <laughs> jersey and the Yankees fitted 100%. But anyway, we have the Chargers laying three and a half here. And i got to be honest, Alex, this is another one of those moves that I went ahead and played. At three and a half minus one ten, it opened three, and we said this on our and, and so of course that's a huge point move. I would have loved to have seen the number, you know, gotten the three, but I wasn't sure where this line was going to go because we talked on our spaces about how oh my god Dallas, you know, they're going to be the public dog coming off of the primetime standalone game against Tampa, competing their ass off taking them down to the final buzzer and ultimately losing, like people are going to, the oh, this team can't go 0-2. Like that, that angle is going to get applied to, I think, Buffalo this week, going to Miami. And I think it's probably going to get applied to the Cowboys going to Los Angeles to play the Chargers after last week's game against the Bucks was as competitive as it was. So my point is when I saw that number go to three and a half, I thought that this was probably – uh, you know, some sharper money that was coming in and backing the Chargers. That was at least my guess. And because, as I said, I do expect Dallas to be a, a, a trendy dog. Uh, and also, when you look at, watch, uh, excuse me, the Chargers, uh, they have really done, they did well last week, better than I thought they would, against the Washington football team defense. And as a football team backer in that game, I was pretty frustrated by the fact that it felt like the Chargers were moving the ball much better than they should have been, considering that the Chargers were breaking in a little bit of a new-look offensive line, of course, with the first-round pick, Rashawn, Rashawn Slater, at tackle. And at the other tackle spot, Brian Bulaga got hurt in the middle of the game. But the Chargers still outgained Washington in that game, 424 to 259. They ran 78 plays to Washington's 49. They possessed the football for 36 minutes, to Washington's 24 minutes. And I know that the Washington defense has not lived up to the hype so far. Uh, and we just saw the Giants tonight uh, do what they did where they scored a ton of points. But 
if the Chargers can move the ball and put up those ball control stats against the Washington defense, just think about what they could do against the Dallas defense. So I like the Chargers here, and I'm going to go ahead and play them. As I said, minus the three in the hook. Give me the bolts at home. Uh, play the Arnold Schwarzenegger drop. Go Chargers. <laughs> Should edit that in. I like that. You'll be happy to hear I'm on the Action Network app right now. I'm looking at this game, and I'm seeing Dallas is getting 57% of bets, but the Chargers are getting 82% of money, which is quite the discrepancy. Sure. I'm not quite there with you on the Chargers side. I really like the over here. I just get oddly nervous about this Dallas defense. I think they could really score at will. Also, another thing to the over would be Demarcus Lawrence is out. That's their best pass rusher by far. We saw how bad the secondary was against the Bucs. They really couldn't stop much of anything, especially when it mattered most on that final drive. They couldn't get a single stop. Brady just picked them apart, of course. So I really like the over here. It's pretty high. I think it's 55, opened around 52. So this has been bet up quite a bit. And I got the worst of the number. I'm sitting on 55. But I just see a lot of points being scored. I could see this easily being a 30-point game for each. Chargers probably win. I'm not quite sure if they cover. I hope for you they do. But I really just see this being a shootout. I, I don't love the Chargers defense. I do like their, their front a lot, I think. Dak might have some trouble, but he's relatively mobile despite the knee injury. So I think he can make some plays, and I really like like Dallas's weapons. We'll have to keep an eye on Gallup. I'm not sure his status, but they still have plenty of other weapons. They should probably get Zeke going a bit and get him out of the backfield and some passing opportunities. And Amari Cooper's going to get his, I think, maybe a couple player props on this. I, I think there's going to be a lot of touchdowns scored to Maybe a Keenan Allen anytime touchdown, depending what that number is. If you can get that at plus money, I would definitely play that. So I have to look at that. I'm I'm definitely going the over here. So Alex, let me ask us seems like a stone cold over team, at least early on. I know we've only seen one game. But let's say you're right, because this total has been bet up big time from the opening number. I think it's like a four or five point move almost. Uh, right now sitting at maybe not five, but I, I believe it was 50, 50 and a half opening number. And it's our, our, our already up to 55. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's been a considerable move this week. And let's say you're right. Maybe because where are you in on the total? Are you at 50, 55? Yeah, I got 55. I'm seeing currently 54 and a half on draft teams. Oh, okay, so let's say your overtake cash is at over 55. And the final score in this game is like 35-30. And next week, the Cowboys are prime time again, Monday Night Football, rivalry game against the Philadelphia Eagles. And you're on the Eagles. So let's say you're right about that game against San Francisco. And it's another good game for Jalen Hurts. And, you know, Devonta Smith scores again or whatever. And the Eagles put up some points on the San Francisco defense. And win like 28, 24 or whatever. Both those things happen in those two games. What does the total open in a primetime Monday night game, Dallas and Philadelphia? Is that like 55 oh, man. Open? Like I I think it'll probably open somewhere around 50. Yeah, I was going to say 52 initially, but 
They'll probably have to make it higher because they're going to be just desperately needing anyone to play the under. Because in prime time, I mean, this is going to get bet up huge. Everyone loves overs. Prime time right. overs. And having already experienced like the Dallas yeah, over getting fed up like four points. Yeah, I think it really depends on how the Eagles' defense and offense looks against San Francisco. If they put up 28, like you said, if that actually happens, then this will be this will open really high. I, I don't think there's any world that Dallas holds the Chargers under 28 points. I think it's easily over 30. Yeah, this is going to open very high. They're going to be begging people to take the under. Time, time, game. Jalen Hurts, another week of him looking good, and we know about the Cowboys. Like, yeah, I, I, I it's just going to be a massive part, number. Listening to you talk more about Dallas and and going through that, it realized, oh, he likes the Eagles too. Like, where could this <laughs> total go next week? And yeah, it's a good question. Like, and at what number would you have to bet the under? Because I had the under in the Washington game, and that didn't work. Just primetime under seemed like. Just no chance. God, I miss the years the years of primetime unders being like the best thing ever. Yeah, that was a great stretch. That yeah. Yeah, so to answer your question, like I think I need like an opening fifty six can be a key number on totals. Like I I think I asked more so out of curiosity than anything else. Like when we do our spaces on uh, Sunday night, like that might be the first thing I look at is that Eagles Cowboys total. Yeah. I'm excited to, to see that now that you say it. Let's go to, speaking of primetime games, Sunday Night Football, Kansas City traveling east to Charm City as the Kansas City Chiefs are a short road favorite of three and a half points against the Baltimore Ravens, total of 54 and a half. I might get to something for some Sunday night action, although my Phillies are playing the Mets on Sunday Night Baseball, so I'll, I'll, I'll probably... Oh, man, it's football season. That, that hey, is a they, massive they, game for you. They pissed me off, but they keep me back in. They were down 7 nothing tonight, yeah, and back. they came back and won 17-8. So, saw Bryce Harper sent one to the moon, just an absolute shot. It might rub you the wrong way that he's the MVP of the league, but you guys got your World Series. So <laughs> I yeah, think I'll, I'll trade fun. that any day. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, no, I, as far as this game goes, uh, like I said, maybe just watching more from a, you know, a football fan interest and not a gambling interest because you do have Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson squaring off against each other. Although, uh, Mahomes has obviously gotten the better of Lamar in their meetings thus far. I, I guess I'd reluctantly lean Baltimore just Harbaugh. You know, we talk about Zimmer 0-2 and how I like to back Minnesota this week and, Belichick and New England have been 0-2 in 20 years. Like, you could get me on that with Baltimore, kind of a similar type of handicap with Harbaugh. I would expect him to really have his guys uh, juiced up uh, to finally beat Kansas City and to avoid going to 0-2. Uh, you know, he is from the Andy Reid tree. Uh, he was Andy's special teams coach in Philly, so, you know, I'm sure there's a lot on the line for him personally trying to beat his pupil or his mentor. Um, so, you know, I don't know. It, it, you can tell there's not, none of this is all that strong on my end. Kansas City didn't look great against Cleveland. I guess you can look at that one of two ways. Maybe you say, well, they're just saving the good stuff for December and they're not a bet on team right now. Or you say, well, 
now they're going to play 60 minutes this week and win this game by double digits. I can't decide. That's why I'm not going to bet the game. Yeah, I think that's probably the smartest move. But I lean slightly to the Chiefs here. I really wish I grabbed two and a half. I, I just couldn't quite see which way this is going to go. Huh? Went all the yeah. way yeah, the key, the keyest of numbers. I think if this gets to four, you have to just play the play the Ravens at home. But I'm really concerned about that Ravens secondary. You know, Marcus Peters and looks like Marlon Humphrey and Jimmy Smith, both corners were limited in practice on Wednesday. So that's quite concerning against the best quarterback in the league with some of the better weapons through the passing game. I think the over could be a good look here. Primetime game, both pretty strong offenses. I definitely lean the Chiefs, but I don't think I can play it three and a half. I'll definitely have something, of course, standalone game you have to. I'll probably find some anytime touchdown props, and you know already I'll be sprinkling the the first touchdown score. You always have to do that in the primetime game. So I'll have something, but nothing too strong right now. Let's wrap things up. Speaking of nothing too strong, Detroit against Green Bay. I mean, I don't know, maybe maybe some strong alcohol or something to get me through this game, but that's the last game <laughs> for us. schedule this week, too. They know Detroit's not going to be good. So the only thing I thought of was, yeah, that's a good point. Like, And you know, I guess here's how I'd answer that. Like, I don't know if they owe an obligation to get certain teams on primetime games, and you know that Detroit has the Thanksgiving standalone game at the later portion of the season. So maybe that's why they get a Monday night game in week two as opposed to week 15. You know, I feel like the Lions, it's just like we, everyone watches them lose on Thanksgiving and then their season ends. Like, who yeah, acts? If you're not a Lions enough? fan, I'm sorry. Isn't that enough? Well, that's my point. You like, if you're not a Lions fan, year. are you even watching them in December? Like, you're probably not. Uh, and so. Maybe that's the excuse for getting uh, Detroit and Green Bay on the schedule uh, in Monday Night Football this early in the season. But uh, that is the final of the three double-digit lines that we have talked about various times throughout the pod. Detroit catching 11 and the hook, total of 48 and a half. And and by the way, Alex, like that's another thing that I think we've talked about before. Like 48 and a half, not a super low total, but not a super high total either. And sometimes when you see those totals, uh, it can kind of tip you off a little bit on the side as well. And it, it does kind of make you want to just take all those points if the total is basically saying, well, the Lions, like, if they score, you know, what's it, 20, would it be? Like, yeah, like, if they score 20, then they're going to cover if this game stays under. Like, that's just like... You think about that, and then you think about the fact that game is Winston and company, like, put up 38, and Jameis threw five touchdowns. Like, not that he threw for a ton of yards, but did Green Bay care? Did they, you know, were they just tapped out? Did the offseason commotion with Rodgers play a role into that laying of an egg? I don't know. Like, you know, I kind of look at this game – in one of two ways and why I can't really play it on one hand, you say, well, now going back to Lambeau, green Bay wakes up and all the hoopla of the Roger stuff. Well, maybe that factors in week one, but you wouldn't think that's a season long factor and they come out and kill them. 
And on the other hand, you say, well, all right, Detroit showed a little fight in the second half against San Francisco, got the cover, and Green Bay, maybe there are some elements from Sunday, not necessarily that every game is going to be as bad as it was on Sunday against the Saints, but maybe there are some elements for the Packers that linger all season, and maybe Rodgers already has a foot out the door there, and I mean, the market for Rodgers is not going to be any smaller if he has a bad year. He's still going to have plenty of options as far as where he wants to play football in 2022. So I'm not suggesting that he's throwing games, but I I do think that I would buy into the argument that this ends up just being a down year for Green Bay on that basis that Rodgers doesn't really care a ton. Like he, he seems like that kind of guy that might just, check out sometimes so uh i don't really know maybe he's an ultimate competitor and is going to come back and green bay is going to win this game 28 to 3 you know but i easily see that i don't really want to play this game like i it's monday night football maybe i'll sprinkle a prop or something but uh, i i i got next to nothing here i'm with you there's just there's way too many question marks especially with Rodgers and the whole offseason stuff. I think he's going to obviously come out firing. And by the way, like, everybody's like, Detroit was another team that, like, everybody just thought coming in a year, oh, they're horrible, they're horrible, they're horrible. Like, Jared Goff got, like, a lot of, not necessarily praise because he was with McVay, but he can, he was able to get the ball to Cooper Cup. He was able to get the ball to Robert Woods. Like, I'm not saying the skill position talent is great in Detroit, but T.J. Hawkinson looks like a real good tight end, and DeAndre Swift's an explosive running back, and Jamal Williams is a nice number two running back. Maybe that's the prop, you know, little Jamal Williams revenge, perhaps, against the Packers. But um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, I, I don't think the cupboard is completely bare there. I think they got some things to work with there, and that's why I could see the Lions scoring some points here. Yeah, that's why I think the side is so tough here. I could easily yeah. see Green Bay come out and just run it up because they were so embarrassed last week. But then at this line, the back door is always open. We saw that last week. The lines didn't quit. That was a really impressive cover on their part. They almost won the game. They really had a chance there, at least to make it a one-score game if they got the and, two. And to your point, tied. if Green Bay comes out and is up, you know, 20 to three at half, well, then like Green Bay – might already have one foot, one eye towards week three and come the second half might just be focusing on getting out of the game healthy. And, and that would also kind of keep the back door open for a Detroit team that maybe shows that fight again. Exactly. That's why I think Detroit would probably be the side. I'm more interested in the over here. The Detroit or the Packers secondary was pretty concerning. Winston sure. didn't really move the ball that much, but he had some good throws and they had some blown coverages, just wide open guys for touchdowns. Like I could see something similar. I could see some garbage time points, but Packers already comfortably in the lead. I don't know if 48 points is enough here. Like you're saying, Detroit has some weapons. Golf looks pretty good. He can get the ball to his playmakers. I really like Swift and Hawkinson. Yeah. I think there's going to be some points scored here, whether it be, garbage time points where the Packers don't really care. They're just trying to get the win. They obviously don't care about the number. So they're just going for the win. I could definitely see some garbage time points. I think I'll probably get there with the over and a couple player props we'll be looking at too. So 
We'll see. I think the over really is the best play here if I had to. Yeah, I mean, you're kind of talking me into it as you say it because I think uh, our trepidation on the side almost makes us think that, well, first off, if we're concerned about the side, then that makes us think that Detroit could at least score in this game, meaning that Detroit could lose 40 to 20. You would expect Detroit uh, to be able to score a little bit against the Green Bay defense that, let's be honest, like how much better, how does this Green Bay defense compare with San Francisco's? Might might be as good. Maybe you could say it's the same. Maybe it's a little worse, you know? So if Detroit's able to score, whether San Francisco was checked in or out in the second half, if Detroit's able to get north of 30 against them, well, okay, now they're going on the road. Just give me north of 20 here, and we probably get over this total. Exactly, and I really like the fight that I saw from Detroit in a game that they were completely out of. They still kept playing. I think that probably goes to their head coach's mentality, you know, eating the kneecaps or whatever that was. <laughs> I don't think he'll let his players give up. So you'll never see that team quit. They might not be the most skilled, but they're going to always fight in these games, which always leaves the back door open and which leads me to the over. I think I think Detroit's going to do enough to score. I'll, I'll probably end up playing this for sure 48 and a half doesn't feel like that much in the nfl nowadays right yeah especially in when we just finished watching the thursday game that flew over at 30 to 29 between taylor heineke and daniel jones so yeah exactly with what we thought was going to be a top five defense in washington they don't look like even top 15 right now that'll do it for us here on a week two preview edition of Full Slate. Alex, I know it was a little disjointed, uh, literally, this week. Uh, but glad we <laughs> yeah, were a little technical in. difficulties, but we got it in. Got it in. And uh, shoot Alex a follow at Alex underscore up seven and at full underscore slate underscore pod managing our podcast Twitter. Follow me on gambling Twitter as well at undercover. Greg, there's been another edition of Full Slate. A Blue Hour Gambling Podcast. Alex, any salutation before we get going? No, I'm just excited for another week of NFL football. This past what are we week drinking was, this weekend? Uh, that's a good question. Probably a, a steady uh, flow of Miller Lights. That's generally the, the Sunday uh, beer of choice. Just keep it to beers. I got to stay up for the for the late game. That looks like one of the better games of the week. Yeah, so. No wine. <laughs> No, no, no wine this weekend for me. <laughs> Alex, good to talk to you. We'll be staying in touch soon. Yeah, buddy. See you. All righty. Again, this has been another edition of Full Slate. He's Alex Uplinger. I'm Greg Frank. Everyone, enjoy your weekends. And, of course, please play responsibly. <laughs>